Welcome to the British Broadcast, the Big Black, the Boozy Book Club, with Sam and Ethan. Now recording. Wonderful. So, you, sir, you, sir, are a bit behind. Mm, Yeah, it's been a a bit of a busy time. Indeed. Indeed. One month into your weddedness. How are you rating it so far? Uh, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we've been together for 10 years. We have a mortgage. We have two baby wow. cats. Like, you know. That's right. Not much has changed, although I will begin now the process of including her in my uh, health plan, which will be ah, you know, yes. another binding thing. Binding thing. The, what? So, did is she keeping her last name, or, or are you switching no, to she, yours? She, or? she she is going to change it, um, but they advised us not to do that if we were planning on leaving the country, which we're going to be going to Aruba in March. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for your for your uh, for your syrup. Or I tried to make a joke; it didn't work. Delayed <laughs> honeymoon. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, we're going to be doing that, and they they because she had to renew her passport. Um, and that could take some time. Actually, hers is taking longer to renew than it was for me to get a brand new passport since I never had one before. Mm-hmm. Um, so they said, don't change your name for renewing your passport because you may not get it back in time. Oh, that's no good. That would be bad. March. That would be really, really bad. Somehow you'd get either can't leave or you'd get stuck in Aruba. That would be, yeah. uh, that would be no bueno. Yeah, that was the other reason too. They were like, "Don't, don't play around with any of that stuff because, God forbid, like you get stuck in Aruba with COVID or you know, like whatever." Yeah, um, no good. So yeah, well, I'm glad. I'm glad. Pretty much all is exactly the same for you. <laughs> oh, I well, did try. I did try and tell her that I want to take her last name. Um, oh yeah, because her last name is the same as my middle name, just spelled differently. So <laughs> would have been. Hilarious. <laughs> I think. That would be amazing. I would literally never call you anything but that entire thing. Of course. I would expect Ever. that. Ever. Ever. Um <laughs> that's so <laughs> funny. Which is <laughs> and it makes it even funnier too, is like my middle name it's... comes from my great grandmother's last name. Yeah. And her first name is the same as my wife's. There you my go. Great, my great grandmother on my father's mother's side, the same name as my wife. Oh, that's wacky! But the last name spelled differently. Last name spelled like different. a different, like a different. It maybe it might be like the same Latin root or something, but. Uh well, this one was Polish, and her family is from uh, Portugal. So, so like, you know, definitely others, not then. Maybe you know, not, definitely not related in any way, but mm-hmm. you know. Same, same. You know, there's only so many sounds, right? Somebody's bound to come upon the same one. Right. Well, uh, yeah, so... You sound a little muffled right now. Do I? Yeah, just a tad. Just a tad, all right. Well, I... You sound maybe a little distant as well, but... Hang on, let's see if I can... Let me move my mic. See if I can remedy that. Hang on a second. Maybe maybe I don't have the right audio settings going on right now. Let's see. On air. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Here we go. Hang on. Why isn't this connected? Hang on. Hang on a second. Um, Is your mic not connected? Yeah, it's not picking up my mic. Hang on one second. I'm going to leave and come back. Right. So just give me a moment to figure this out. All right, I'll talk to our beautiful fans. Our beautiful fans. Sitting here with my beautiful girl cat. Loafing. Now, my poof, my feet, kiki, loafing. Never had uh, this time alone. Alone with Sam once. Going to be. Spread a lot of sweet nothings. That's my turn. That's my turn to listen. Sweet nothings. Clay comes back soon. I have no idea what to say. 
everybody's enjoying uh, fall weather. Get so bogged down with uh, reading that you uh, don't go enjoy some fall activities. Yesterday was a very perfect fall day. To uh, be hollow. To the tail of the Headless Horseman. Really Ichabod Crane. Really Ichabod. A fun one to read. Does that sound better? It does sound better. Oh, and you sound exceptionally better now. I, I don't know how my input device is connected to yours, but maybe it has something to do with pairing output with input. I'm not sure. Uh, and I'll just edit out. I mic a little closer. Yes, very good. I'll just edit out that pause. Um, yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm now a week past my, my quarter century date. I am now a fucking 25-year-old. I can't believe that. Stunning. Yeah. We'll be turning man. 27 very soon. Yes, and speaking of birthdays, uh, I, had a, I had an Amazon gift card from... Do you remember that uh, study that one of our friends said we could get involved in? Do you recall that? Say that again? You cut out a bit there. One of our friends like invited us to join like a study at like a university that assesses. Mm, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, did and, you actually uh, do that? Yeah, of course I did. I want Amazon gift cards. Oh my God, that is so funny. Yeah, well, why not? So I got the $25 gift card. I bought something I needed for myself and I had enough left over to, uh, to get you a, a birthday present a month in advance. So oh, I'm already, well, I've already you. got just uh, all I have to do is caution you to not... To not go buy, just don't go buying anything willy nilly now. All right. Okay, like willy nilly, right. like we might be needing it for uh, final month of reading. Willy nilly. Shut up. So, all right. Uh, <laughs> so let's let's uh, let's let's talk about what we're drinking. What are you drinking? Uh, I'm having that mead that I had uh, the other night. Uh, House Bear Brewing, World Bear War Brewing. B. Like uh, yes, produced and bottled by House Bear Brewing. I got this at a small little flea market while I was in Boston for the first time, at like two weekends ago, which is part of the reason I have not finished a lot of my reading. <laughs> yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> spent a weekend in Salem and Boston. Very cool. And that was a cool time. Uh, but yeah, it's 12%. Uh, I like Ooh. meat a lot. It's fun to find different meats. Oh, is that the, is that the, lemon, is that the lemonade stuff you eat? Yes, it is. We sipped the other meat. night. Very nice. Very nice. Mm -hmm. Delicious. Are you finishing it off? I don't know if I'm going to finish the whole bottle. I do have to get up it to was, work in the morning. It was a rather large bottle, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, what, what, what are you drinking? I am drinking Flying, Fri <laughs> Flying Fish Brewing Company's Constant Motion Coffee India Pale Ale. Interesting. I don't really so, like coffee IPAs. What's, you, you ever had one? Yeah, I, I don't know. The coffee stouts and coffee IPAs, I don't know. They just, they, I, actually, I think they mess up my stomach a little bit. Really? Honest. Oh, you're not a fan? I, I mean, they taste great. They yeah, just I love make it. me feel not good. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> and it's like, I, I, I took, so I think it's, it's brewed in Jersey because it's got a picture of Jersey on it. And it, and it just appears to be various uh, cartoonish drawings of Charlie Day. Like at the post office in Always Sunny in Philadelphia, like holding mugs of coffee, and and it's I don't know, it's funny because it's like clearly Charlie Day, but like not mentioned anywhere on here that that's him and that they're using his likeness. But I I guess that's what and they're doing. Blew up their spot like on this you know podcast. Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> but it's uh it's seven and a half percent. You know, it's a full pint because I like to buy me uh you know. Uh, microbrew beer. I don't know that Flying Fish is a microbrewery, but you know, like the the craft beer things. You know, the ca the silver cans with the. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and it's uh, yeah. Let's see. So coffee IPA. Like our caffeinated pals over at Revolution Coffee Roasters, nonstop innovation keeps our wheels turning and our fish wings flapping. We put our collective brews, beans, and brains together to bring you Constant Motion, a wonderfully complex coffee IPA. Copious amounts of tropical citra, mosaic, and azaka hops are enhanced by bright berry notes and a smooth caramel finish from Revolution's masterfully balanced house-cold brew. 
It's a load of bullshit. It just tastes like a coffee IPA. And it's I was going to say, you ever think they make up all that stuff? Oh, so it's completely afterwards... made up. Because you know what? I, you know why I know it's made up? Because every time I've read one of those descriptions on a wine bottle, I sip it and it just tastes like fucking wine. And I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't sure, understand where they get these things from. I'm sure, I'm sure to a certain extent, maybe it is there, or me, I don't know. Like, I think, I definitely think that some people are just bullshit. That's bullshit. Stuff. It's lies. So, uh, I, I have a feeling, my friend, that uh, we're probably going to be mostly talking about what I've read. <laughs> I have a lot to say about mine, so I will have ample to say. Um, okay. But... Well, uh, then you know what? Just to uh, just to get you started, why don't why don't you why don't you start? You've read more, so why don't you start? You can sandwich me. No, you hang up first. Oh, I know. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's see. I have to remind myself what I've read because it's like I finished like I think four or five books in the time that since we've There's done. There's no need to brag. Um, hey, all right. I'm gonna brag. Uh, yeah. So. I guess I'll start with. You can talk about the ones that were that were more notable to you that you enjoyed. Oh, but I mean, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna discuss all of them. I don't have a lot to say about every single one. Um, but I read. I finally finished the Socialist Manifesto, and I don't really have a lot to say about this because we already did discuss it somewhat in the last episode. Sure. But uh, I thought it was kind of. I I felt like it didn't have a lot of direction to it. I didn't really feel like there was much in the way of genuine modern like political theory that could be applicable to everyday life like the end of it sure is and i think i think the whole point of it is you know highlighting history and 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 learning from the faux pas of people in the past but i didn't really feel like it had much of a direction to it and i feel like someone could probably write a better version of what would be called the socialist manifesto i didn't really take away from it uh, a certain sense of you know like the you know the way the communist the way the communist manifesto ends you know workers of the world unite you know what i mean right, right. um but it you know i think it it has its place as a as a piece of political history um you know as a as a as a collective work but i uh i don't know wasn't my favorite i'm not really i don't really have much to say to it, uh, about it beyond that i mean the history is interesting i like learning about the different figures uh i'm definitely want to know more about um What's her face? Rosa, what's... Luxembourg. What's Rosa Luxembourg, that's it. I wanted to say Rosa Thunberg, and I'm like, I feel like I'm confusing with the, that with like a, <laughs> you know, what, what's her face? Uh, Greta Thunberg or something. Uh, Rosa Luxembourg's yeah. an interesting character. Rosa Luxembourg, I want to know more about Trotsky. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's all right. It's meh. Yeah, um, the thing I found interesting when I read it was he wrote that before Bernie dropped out of the presidential election. Oh yeah, all of the all of the references to things that have already happened was like really sad. <laughs> yeah, like he you could tell he cuz he he campaigned a lot for Bernie Sanders. He was like Bernie might win. It's like, no nah, man. Yeah. <laughs> no he can't. <laughs> Me in my but, privileged position in 2021. Yeah, it was definitely interesting to read that bit cuz it's like it, I agree that there wasn't much of a call to arms. He was kind of saying, like, ah, maybe Bernie will be the hope. And then, like, I'm sitting here reading it, knowing that, you know, obviously Bernie lost. Yeah. Well, there you that being go. Being said, he does, hurt, he does hold the, uh, the purse strings of Congress right now. So that's kind of sort of yep, the win. And... Not the win yeah. you wanted, but. Not, not quite. Not quite the win we wanted, but whatever. Uh, not to <clears throat> put our politics into the mix here although i guess at some point right. we're going to probably read some books that sort of highlight that more than usual i mean the um, book that i read highlights my opinion of history pretty accurately well, and i think well, you can then, see my bernie sticker in the background of the photo i sent so that's funny uh yeah i mean i don't know maybe let's see uh i see a bernie sticker that's right uh so <laughs> let, let's see uh what did i read next so the next thing i read was Looking Backward by Edward Bellamy. I guess um, you finished it. Which I did. I did, in fact, finish it. And I sort of see how that was one of, like, the more popular books of the time. And I must say, uh, Aldous Huxley, you're a big, fat copycat. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> you're a big, fat copycat, Aldous Huxley, and you did it worse than Edward Bellamy. This motherfucker died of tuberculosis at the age of 40-something in the 1800s, and he could write a better book about a better future than uh, Aldous Huxley could. Because the big difference, the big difference between 
uh, for me that Looking Backward has with Island, which is what I'm referencing. Uh, yeah, even yeah, though they're both they're both like uh, centered around characters that get sort of thrust into a new like kind of society where certain things, certain social ills have just been outright solved and everything's sort of utopian in a lot of ways. Um, I feel like Looking Backward had much more movement to it. I feel like there was more emotion behind the words. You know, I mean, it was just written in a really romantic, well, Victorian style because it was written in 1887 or whatever. Uh, or whenever the heck it was written. And I, I what I really loved about the book was how how close Edward Bellamy was to like predicting certain aspects of society that we experienced mm. by the time two thousand rolled around. Because what it's about is a guy who falls asleep, you know, needs to needs to be like hypnotized to sleep by some you know, professional that does that in the 1800s. And it's sort of like a suspension of disbelief aspect that people can just remain in a, in a, in a homeostatic way, like in this trance for indefinite amounts of time. And so his house burns down, but he's in this chamber underneath his house. And so nobody finds him. They think he died in the fire and nobody finds him. And so he gets woken up in the year 2000 and he lived in like 1887 or whatever. And he gets introduced to this completely utopian world, which we do not at all experience today. Uh, it's more or less the exact same thing today as it was what are in the you 1800s. Talking about? But with more, but with more technology. Um, and it's this absolutely like, you know, equal society in almost every respect. And you know, nobody, nobody wants for anything. Uh, everybody, everybody, like the education goes until you're 21 and then you're, you're able to determine what it is you want to do. And then you retire at 45 and enjoy your second childhood as they frame it, you know, being able to just experience the, the latter half of your life, um, you know, in freedom, uh, from, from service and everyone works towards the common good of the collective, but it's not like a Borg thing, you know what I mean? Uh, and I, I thought it was really interesting how much this 19th century guy was able to predict certain things like, uh, the fact that everybody would want to listen to music, you know, of their on their own time, but he couldn't get away from the fact that it was like programmed and like yeah. like, a, like an order like an ordered thing, and it it has to be somebody in a chamber playing the song somewhere, and it's somehow magically transmitted in perfect fidelity to your room, and you need a room for the music. Like he he, he couldn't envisage like a device, you know what I mean, like a, a handheld device. Um, well, maybe I always thought actually maybe he could, but he maybe he thought that. Uh, like because high society enjoyed so much the aspect of like um, an intimate live performance. Yeah, they would have just kept that. Like high society would have just like yeah, they would have been like this is obviously superior to some recorded version. Like why would we settle for something inferior and inferior? Copy? Yeah, because I mean recording was such a nascent invention. I don't even think like I mean the first the earliest recording of a president we have talking I think is. Benjamin Harrison in like the 1890s and it's real low fidelity but so I can imagine they probably would think that yeah and so I just you know examples like that of things like uh what about the, really... the giant the giant warehouse that you could basically just go and like hit yeah. a bunch of stuff and they'll just yeah, deliver like, it to your house like this man like, predicted Amazon pretty much pretty much Amazon but you know not trampling on their workers and grinding them into dust <laughs> Computers. So, you know, he didn't. He didn't predict, predict, he didn't predict computers. computers. Um, you know, like they've pretty much they've pretty much done what like a libertarian would want to do with their government, but in the right way. Like they're essentially government never meets. There's like no need to pass new laws. Like nobody commits any crimes anymore because everybody's acting in their own self. In but like their self interest to the extent that they don't want to impose on anybody else because society has been made so like goddamn awesome. Uh, and. And, you know, I don't want to say any more to it to the extent that I want somebody to read it because I really thought it was, like, brilliantly written and, and just very romantically proposed as this uh, fantastic global society that we could strive towards. And I, I was really, really hoping the entire time that it wasn't just going to be, it was all a dream. Mm. And I, can, I, must, I must say, I must say, I was not disappointed. <laughs> that was like, cause as soon as, so should I spoil it? I mean, you, you, I think you can. I don't. Really I feel. I feel like we spoiled every book. So like, 
book, the he, book's over a hundred years old. If you, yeah, the book's you know, over a hundred. Like, at this point, at this point, read the goddamn book. All right. <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't heard of it until it was given to me by you, but, but yeah. So, so he, he experiences like this weekend in, or it, it feels like, oh, you know, a month that they go through, but apparently it's just like a few days that he's experiencing this utopian. It's like Boston in 2000, whereas he was growing up in, you know, 1880s Boston. As as like sort of aristocratic, right? He doesn't want for anything. He doesn't he doesn't do any labor himself, and he just wakes up in this world where everyone is. Right, he's made. just he's just pissed off. His house is being delayed because of the labor strikes. Yes, and it's like clear he's he's kind of high society hobnobbery bastard kind of guy, uh, and <clears throat> and he wakes up in this. He wakes up a hundred and however many years later, hundred thirteen, and you know he's absolutely enamored with this new society and just takes to it as quickly as he can and wants to learn as much about it as he can. And then one night he goes to sleep and wakes up back in 1887 to find out that it was all a dream. And I knew what the, what the, you know, what the, the catch was pretty quickly, or I had a hunch because, you know, he keeps, he keeps like despairing of the fact that he's no longer in the year 2000, you know, and he sees all the forlorn faces of the horribly destitute and poor living on the muddy streets of 1880s Boston. And it's just a shite place to be and a time to be in. But then it starts, then it starts to mention things like, and then I was in this other place inexplicably already. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't, there's no transition between where he was in one place to another. You know, there's like, like when they describe his experience in 2000, like it's very detailed in 2000, he's having conversations with people. They're explaining the way of the world and things like that. But then when he wakes back up in the 1800s, he's inexplicably in different places. Like he, he goes throughout his day, but there's no transition from one place to another. And it's like, oh, I have a feeling of what's going on here. Cause it's just like, it's just like when you're in your own dreams, right? And and things just happen, and you just accept them for 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 the way they are, regardless of how absurd they are. And then of you course were he en- off by the language. I see. Yes, yes, exactly. And then he goes back to his house with his wife and their family, and he starts to tell them about this dream that he's had. Well, not he doesn't tell them about the dream. He just starts to describe, you know, how horrid it is that people live this way, and we need to strive for a more equitable society. And they all fucking start piling in on him and crowding around him. And you can just imagine like cowering in front of a circle of people that are getting closer and closer to you. And it's like, and then he wakes up back in 2000 because he was just dreaming about going back to that time. And he's like absolutely overcome with joy and, and, and emotional reaction to the fact that he actually gets to live in this wonderful time. And I thought, I thought the parallel between like his wife that he lost because he, you know, survived 113 years in a, in a deep slumber state. And the fact that like the, the girl that I guess she's a woman, it's sort of feels a little old guy, young, kind of too young woman vibe, but like, you know, this is 1800. So I guess he was living in a certain time. Right. Um, but, but this woman that he ends up falling in love with, who's also named Edith, like his wife back in the 1800s. And, you know, the, the end of it, I thought was just really beautifully expressed. Um, and I, uh, and I recommend it to anyone. Of course. (laughs) I actually, I, I actually do recommend it, uh, because I think it's one of those, it's one of the first, um, like science fiction-y sort of novels. And to yeah. us, it's not science fiction because none of that technology. I mean, we our technology far surpassed it. But when it was written, you know, uh, it yeah, was it's like still a utopian, science fiction. I mean, utopian science fiction novel, which is kind of like in the same vein of the Dispossessed by Ursula Le Guin, which I read earlier this year. Mm. Um, kind of imagining. But anyway, what I was gonna say is, I'm pretty sure that the girl, his love interest in 2000, is like the great great granddaughter. Yes, um, yes. And it wasn't his wife; it was his betrothed. Like they were engaged, not married. Yes. Yet. That's true. Uh, yeah, it, so I, I uh, and, and Island just felt really stale and, and cardboard and unemotional, and I just didn't like yeah, it. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think that the dialogue narrative worked way better in Looking Backward. Looking Backward is one of those books where, like, and I, the only reason I would say I don't think it's a libertarian vision of the future, um, definitely more of, like, Socialists is because like libertarians don't talk about reading looking backward. That's what like, socialists. No, and I'm 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 telling my father right now, <laughs> read looking backward. <laughs> but uh, um, but I actually but, very much yeah. liked his his vision of work too. I've I've actually espoused that to people to be like, why don't we try and organize society where it's not about 
since, you know, your living is tied to pay, to deprive someone of pay is to deprive them of the means of living. So give everybody... starve. Give everybody, you know, pay. And then the way that you encourage people to take certain jobs over others is to limit the amount of time they have mm-hmm. to expend in their life doing that job. So like, yes. a doctor mm-hmm. can work less than garbage men because a doctor takes a lot more training to achieve that level of professionalism. Yeah. So like, in, so um, instead of, yeah, so, so instead of scaling pay, you scale time to fit yeah. the same pay. Yeah. Which, you know, I think that's a, I mean, it's, it's effectively the same amount of money in the end, right? If you're, if you're scaling one thing for the, cause you're working less, but making the same amount, but it's like, you're contributing more to society in a job where you work less and it's more arduous. So you do less of it. You know what I mean? So you're not broken down by the end of all of it. Um, yeah, it was just beautifully written. Um, and the reason I said it was, the reason I, the reason I said it was, uh, particularly libertarian in a certain regard is because there is essentially minimal government, you know, and there is government, but it's more, it's almost, um, minarchist almost, but it's not, it's not anarchist, but it's like, it's just the smallest government you could imagine in that situation. Right. Cause basically everything runs as a well-tuned machine. Exactly. A certain extent i think that it always it's read more to me like a, a cross between like socialism and anarcho-syndicalism because it's not there there is still like government and like uh like these labor unions in a certain sense and those labor unions negotiate with each other to you know change like the flow of product here versus there and move work people over here you know, over there depending on need etc cetera, etc cetera. There's organization, there's still money, obviously, so it can't be called communist you know, by the root definition of it. Um, it's like a credit system in the book. Yeah, it's, very, it's a credit system, so, it, yeah. It's so like then you, not you know, any, It's not any one system. It's kind of like the best somebody from that time could imagine because everything was like credit for a while. Yes. Indeed. Well, that was, that's two of the four that I've read, so why don't you tell me about yours? Very good. Um, so I read... Well, next I'm, on to mine now. I'm kidding. Go on. <laughs> to Sam's, uh, and I would recommend it to anybody. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> I think I mentioned this before, but fun fact, the, uh, Looking Backward is the last book that Leon Shalgosh read before he assassinated President McKinley. <laughs> wow. He thought that by assassinating McKinley, who was, like, starting, you know, imperialist wars for the United States, he would usher in like a workers movement that would bring about the utopian world of looking backward but like he didn't just got killed he he didn't read that bit about like how like the workers and the employers basically kind of realized that like they can either do it willingly or they could do it through a bloody struggle and you know so he skipped that whole part where the the people just realized that the best thing to do to avoid all that bloodshed was to just like work together anyway uh (laughs) <laughs> the book that I read was How to Hide an Empire, A History of the Greater United States by Daniel Imawar. I bet was... this is a peaceful book. Yeah. Um, sorry, I, was... I cut you off. I cut you off. I'm sorry. This was a, this was a, a, a book. This was a book, bro. Um, I bet it was. Is... We are the Boozy Book Club. I would put it with uh, looking backward as like, I think that everybody should read this book. Especially if you're American. Apologies to anybody who may listen to this one day who is not an American. Uh, but, you know, probably if you live on the planet Earth, uh, you've been affected by U.S. foreign policy at some point in your life. I've, I've heard um, the phrase that everyone is an American, so. Well, I don't know who said that. Probably an American. No, no, no. It's, it's, I don't mean in the sense that, like, literally everyone's an American citizen. I mean, like, we've got our fingers in goddamn everything. And so, oh, yes. like. And that is essentially the point of the book. Um. So Imawar traces from the earliest, so McKinley, going back to McKinley, that's kind of why I brought him up, uh, from the earliest wars we had where we started digging our imperialist fingers into the world stage, which was the Spanish-American War that McKinley started. Um, And that was when we first started capturing territory that was not like attached to the mainland yeah territory that was not 
hours. Right. It wasn't like, you know, we had reached the coasts, you know, California and all of them weren't like, I think they had just become states you now. Um, and our, our union, like the land mass, like what we view as like, he calls it uh, uh, the map version of the United States, just like that version of the United States that we all know mm. in our head, like you can already picture it. Yeah, uh, the one that you color the continental in, United States, the continental United States. Yeah, plus Hawaii and Alaska, like Hawaii and Alaska actually weren't even states yet. Like, we yeah, buy Alaska later, we annex Hawaii later, uh, and they're right. uh, they're they're military outposts during World War Two. So, mm-hmm. a long time those weren't even states. So we had the continental United States. And what Imawar does essentially is he basically traces difference between what the United States empire looks like versus what uh, a traditional empire looked like. And, like, we started going the route of traditional empire, but then, like, when we saw what was happening around the world to the other colonial powers, like Britain and France and Germany and Denmark and, like, all those countries that had essentially colonies and that was the reason we had the two world wars was the you know or people who had colonies and other people who were trying to get colonies and it was the struggle between those two that led to this massive war and we somehow wound up in the best position after both of those wars because we were late to enter you know we never really war never touched the continental united states right like yeah, everybody we're, always we're talks much about we're pretty much in a prime position, <laughs> like physical oh, position on the globe. So this was the irony of it is like, you know, when, when people talk about World War II, for example. Yeah. What M.O.R. points out is like, people are like, oh, well, um, the Axis powers never invaded um, American soil. Yeah. They, they only bombed Pearl Harbor, and that's why they got involved. And M.O.R. is like, bro, so not true. Or like, he, he basically was like, you say that not realizing that when Japan attacked us, the Philippines was our colony. Seriously? We, yeah. Like we, wow. were con- we, had, we were controlling the Philippines at that time. So one mm-hmm. of the first places I that never Japan, knew that. One of the first places Japan went into was the Philippines. Mm. Like, when I mean, they I went that. into the Philippines yeah. and, like, devastated the Philippines, um, FDR basically was like, I can't justify entering a war just because they attacked, like, some far-off place. Like, no one's gonna buy that as, like, a good reason to get in. Like, they're just, they're, he basically was just, he acknowledged, he was like, they're just not gonna care about some territory that we have overseas. Yeah. So, because they also happened to attack Pearl Harbor, though, we were like, okay, well, they attacked our military now. Uh-huh. kind of gives us a better... Like, that's a much, like, they attacked multiple places on the same day, but the only one that we talk about is Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Um, and well, then... I, never, I genuinely never knew that. Well, <clears throat> thanks, well, American people, education system. Uh, I mean, whether this is, like, relatively uh, buried or just ignored, like, they do push a certain narrative of American... I'll even just... Uh, one of the last pages of the book... He starts talking as the United States basically has the ability, now towards the end of the war, as being like one of the last standing superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially, he was like, you know, America could have become the biggest empire on the planet, but it acknowledged the difficulty of holding all that territory. It, it learned from the mistakes, essentially, of colonial powers of the past. And so it adopted a new strategy of empire building by yeah. trying to find the exact page where they list out the number of military bases that we have right now that we have compared to other countries. Oh, boy. I'm gonna guess okay, like so here we I'm go. gonna guess like I'm okay, gonna guess, what's your guess? 70, 70, I'm gonna guess sixty nine. Hundred and sixty nine. Hundred and sixty nine bases. That's what you think we have. That's my guess. Okay. So 
is the last this is one of the last paragraphs of the book he says empire lives on too in the overseas bases that dot the globe it's easy to think of foreign policy as an affair of the negotiating table sovereign nation states sit down to threaten bargain or cooperate u.s foreign policy nearly uniquely has a territorial component britain and france have some 13 overseas bases between them russia has nine and various other countries have one all there are probably 30 overseas bases owned by <laughs> non-US countries. Oh, okay. The United States by contract. Oh no. Contrast has roughly 800 <laughs> plus agreements granting it access to still other foreign sites. Dozens <laughs> of countries host US bases. Those that refuse are nevertheless surrounded by them. Jesus the greater Christ. United States in other words is in everyone's backyard. Everyone's so, like, an American. That's, that's one of the last paragraphs because, like, yes, we gave up the Philippines. Yes, we gave up, uh, you know, Puerto Rico is still one of our territories. We still have Guantanamo Bay. Um, we have Alaska that became a state. We have the U.S. Virgin Islands. We have American Samoa. Like, we have all these territories, you know. Puerto Ricans are born citizens, but they're not represented in Congress. So there's, like, that mm -hmm. movement to try and make them. And that has, you know, issues on both sides. Um Essentially, what he wanted to point out in the book is, like, we have our vision of America, and then there's, like, what the rest of the world sees. And there's also the, which is one of the things that a lot of leftists do point out, is, like, we are imperialists. It's just the definition of imperialism changed so fundamentally. And one of the things that I found the most interesting, which is, like, the most mundane fucking fact about this book... Um, like there was a really cool part where Moir talks a lot about Guarno Islands. You know about Guarno? Guarno, like G U A R N O. Yeah. Uh, maybe I don't know. Tell me about it. Bird shit. Oh, Guano. Guano, not Guarno. Guano. Yeah, Guano. Yeah. Bird shit. A no, lot it's, of a, those... it's bat. It's bat poop. Oh, it's, it's, it's not just bat, because it's it, there's also a bunch of them in the ocean. It's not just bat shit. It's pretty bird sure poop. Guano, pretty sure guano is just bat poop. It's not just bat poop. I'm saying it's bird poop. Hmm. Guano. Alright, accumulated excrement of seabirds and bats. Okay, fair enough. Oh my god, that's a huge mound. Alright, go yeah, on. So they used to, they used to um, <laughs> that's a lot of go out there and find these islands just covered in guano. Uh, and they would basically claim it for the United States and take all the guano. They would use it because it was high in nitrates. Uh, yeah. It was great for farming. Um, yes. So in one of the chapters, like midway through the book, he talks about, until this guy, uh, like a German scientist, figures out how to synthesize. Oh, uh, uh, Fritz Haber. Mm, yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, it's called the Haber process. So this guy figures out how to Not Fritz, but Haber. I know it's Haber. Go on, sorry. Well, this this fellow who figured that out um, ends up helping the German army develop chemical weapons in World War One. Yep, indeed. And yeah, Fritz so Haber then, and Karl Bosch. So that guy goes to the field to do one of the first displays, and you know, he kills all these people. And his um, wife was mustard so distraught. gas, right? Yeah, mustard gas. His wife was so distraught she killed herself. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, that lady that killed herself, I believe it was either great-grandmother or the great-aunt of the author of the book. Wow. That's crazy, man. Yeah, so I was, like, reading it, and, like, he ends that chapter, and he's like, yeah, and that person uh, was, like, my great-great-whatever. And I was like, jeez, like... That's some tough stuff. Then yeah. the other, and the other really, yeah. I was gonna say the other mundane uh, <clears throat> fact in here was like they had a, there was a whole chapter about uh, screw threads, the threading on screws, you know, for like walls and such. Um, because like during the ninety, the post World War Two rebuilding, uh, they had this issue during the war where like there was no standards. Uh, for, like, building parts. So, like, the Americans would, like, ship parts to England in the war effort, but, like, their screw holes didn't match up with our screws that we were sending them. 
Like there was a constant problem where things were falling apart or not able to be put together uh, because all the parts were coming from different areas and like it seems so weird to us now because like you can go to any one you know fucking Home Depot or hardware store and like you're like like, I need this screw and they have like a million different ones of the same threading like you're never gonna be like oh this isn't the same threading it's not gonna work you know what I'm saying like everything is standardized now but like it wasn't like that during World War Two like that was a huge problem so one of the biggest things that the government was trying to do at that time was standardize everything. So post-war, he led that charge. We were like, listen, our factories are still standing. Uh, I want this to be the standard. And y'all pretty much should just follow that. Uh, because like we can, we can ba- we're basically going to do it anyway. So like you can either buy our shit or you can build your own factories again and then buy our shit, um, however you want to do it. Essentially, we bullied the rest of the world into accepting most of our standards, which is why, like, our industry was so booming for the beginning of the post-war period, besides the fact that everybody else had been bombed into oblivion. Ah, those were the days. Those were the days. It was very interesting, because then you think, like, what do we call our measurement system? Imperial. right there in the name oh it's right there in the goddamn name i could have sworn the imperial thing was from britain they did have it and then everybody switched to the metric and we were like the only ones who wouldn't do it no i mean britain still uses miles in their cars and shit but they still t- <sighs> listen it's all fucked up the english-speaking world is ridiculous all right oh and then there's the you would actually really like the chapter where they were like trying to Basically, like, Churchill and the U.S. were like, yeah, we got to make English, like, the language of the world. Because uh, and ah. the only reason English is the language of, like, uh, like aviation is because, like, we were the ones with planes at the end of the war. <laughs> we were like, listen, our pilots are going to talk English, so if you want us to not crash into shit, you basically should just talk English so that we don't crash into shit. That is, like, the ultimate version of, like, the obnoxious American that shows up and expects everybody to speak English. Like that that's is, yep. That's, that's the that's, that's the quintessential did. example of it. I mean, that's that's what we did. We literally uh, the the I think it was the Canadians tried to be tried to stick with French for just flights that were going like in in Canada, mm-hmm. and uh, a bunch of like we basically made a big fuss about it until they just stopped. That's ridiculous. Our country is fucking <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, yeah, you should. Um, I think you would really like this book. Maybe What's it again? How to Hide an Empire? How to Hide an Empire by Daniel Immore. Because it's like 400 pages, so it's not probably yeah. good for your challenge. Yeah, um, I mean, I, but, right now I'm trying, to, I'm trying to breeze through the last 10 before we start yeah, the stand. So, like, you would really like it. The history is so rich and detailed. I, it um, sounds really boring. interesting. It's, yeah. like not, it's not textbook boring. Like, he, he, he keeps it... He keeps it moving with like you're he, he starts a chapter and you're reading about fucking screw threads and you're like all right like where's this guy going with this and then like he gets there and you're like oh shit like we're just fucking assholes on the world stage most of the time pretty much man like no i want it my way i want it my way damn it <clears throat> it's my way or the highway by the way uh, we were able to build all those highways right after the war too so let's get yes. that kind of infrastructure going again please uh, well, the tax, the corporate tax rate, as I like to tell people who are opposed to any increase in the corporate tax rate of today, uh, do you want to take a guess at what the corporate tax rate was when we built the... Uh, like 90-some percent. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, well, that was the nominal rate, not necessarily the effective rate. Because uh, right, we, still, we still have some of the highest nominal tax, corporate tax rates in the world, but there's just so many loopholes, loopholes? and bullshit. That, that they can just get around and essentially sometimes the government ends up owing companies money like Verizon I think had negative taxes one year uh, like recently I don't remember but I don't remember what year but uh, yeah speaking of wars by the way I actually just watched um, the 1979 remake of All Quiet on the Western Front with my dad uh, which was actually pretty good uh, the main character is played by the guy that played John Boy Walton in the Waltons like from the 70s and 80s lost sam hello you there hello hi there i just i don't know what happened there discord was like you're done but you're not done anymore um you're a bum rock 
hear that. So yeah, I watched that. It was pretty good. Uh, it's I recommend it. That's all I wanted to say. Watch Squid uh, Game. That was the last thing I watched. Yeah, I don't know that I'm ever gonna watch that, but you know, whatever. Um, I mean, you like Old Boy, right? I did like Old Boy. Very I mean, similar. I don't. You know what? I wouldn't even describe it as liking Old Boy. I. I I fr- frankly I hated old boy cuz it was really unnerving. <laughs> I hated I hated what it did to me. Uh but well, was, artfully, uh, artfully it's brilliant. I was watching uh Squid Game and there's like one scene where I mean you know the the concept you get the general concept of it right like 400 people Vaguely. are are pulled into this game and if you win you get like this giant bank of money basically but anybody who you know loses are eliminated and if you are eliminated you are killed essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point in the early stages of the game uh, basically turn the light off and just like let people just fucking go for it and just start like taking people out uh, so I'm like watching the fight scene and I was like bro like it just gives me old boy vibes like the fighting was so like just real a certain extent like people are just getting whacked with pipes and just like falling down and then like struggling to like get away it was very it was very interesting because it gave it reminded me of the hallway fight scene in old boy yeah yeah boy. yeah damn wow yeah what a fucked up movie uh, yeah i gotta try and get my wife to watch it one day but I, I feel weird it's like one of those movies where i feel weird being like hey you should really watch you know this you movie. know you gotta say you gotta be like honey I'm not gonna watch this with you. You just gotta watch it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna sit you down. I'm gonna lock you in the room, and you gotta watch it. Uh, kind of like the hotel. Also, a good South Korean movie, Train to Busan. Anybody? Yeah, you've mentioned that. We gotta watch zombie that. movie. Anybody's looking for a good Korean zombie movie? Train it's to also Busan spooky seasons. No, is a good one because we gotta bring uh, back Scary Movie Saturdays, man. Sam, we've been trying to do Scary Movie Saturdays for a very long time. I want it again. Yeah, I miss I it. Know. I miss it. Honestly, um, I love you to death, but you are awful to watch movies with. But I'm also great but, to watch movies with. No, 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 no. That's not what I said. You are great to hang out with. Awful to watch movies with. But I have great taste in movies. I mean, I can't really say. I'm not going to... All right. So my next book <laughs> is... Uh, you know, I think you hate it is because I'm just so quiet. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Because the quiet ones are the people, that, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm just... I'm, I, gotta, I gotta go to bed soon. All right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, I don't, have a, I, don't, I don't have a lot to say about this one. Uh, this was uh, Aldous Huxley, The Perennial Philosophy. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I think I'm pretty interested in, like, comparative religions. We briefly mentioned this in the, in the car ride the other day. Uh, and I'm, I, I find myself pretty interested in comparative religion. I just felt like this book was like he he almost it it didn't feel like an an a, like an objective outside view to it like I, I it almost makes me feel like Aldous Huxley was like way more religious of a person than I ever really realized. I got the same feeling when I read it. Like it, it was like he's really bought into a lot of stuff like that I feel like pretty skeptical about and I'm like I'm like oh okay Aldous. And and it was just kind of a slog to get through. Like a lot of it felt like it was just a bunch of mumbo jumbo jibber jabber. And I and I you know maybe that's just me in my in my you know fucking house in the eastern United States as a white guy. I don't know, but like <laughs> it just it didn't it didn't it didn't really resonate with me. I gotta say, like I've tried meditation. I'm I'm totally down for like meditation and and you know. Yeah, but maybe you gotta try a bunch of mescaline. Well, I'm down for that. I'm totally down for that. And I also made a mistake in the car ride. I said that heaven and hell was about mes- his mescaline trip. No, it was doors of perception that was about his mescaline trip. But well, heaven I and it hell was kind of the same because no, it, heaven and hell is like book. a companion thing in that same book that I borrowed from you. Gosh, gotcha, gosh. Gotcha. Uh, but it, the yeah, the doors of perception are about his mescaline trip. But yeah, I just I just thought it was a little like overblown, like and and I and I really hate it like when 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 uber religious things like start making up words. Like, not making up words, but, like, taking the English language, like, stretching it beyond its reasonable usage and, like, just sentences that don't seem to have proper form are, like, taken completely seriously. I, I, don't, I don't know how to describe it other than that. It's just oddly phrased, and I just found it kind of an, uh, an odd book. 
Um, but a lot, you know what? Language would take pains with what you just said because that's fine. Language can do whatever you will. It. You know, know what? I completely agree with you, but I can't help how I feel about it. Um, but but I will you say, can't help like how I feel. Like interspersed in it, like Aldous Huxley's pretty fucking based. Like there's like <laughs> <laughs> there's like stuff about like you know reformatting government to like serve people more, like reformatting the way work is done. Like he definitely read Looking Backward. But <laughs> oh yeah, he probably did. Yeah, but like that, Aldous Huxley's pretty based, man. I like it. <laughs> Like, there's there's just some, there's, like, gems in this book. Like, moments at, like, the end of chapters that's like, ah, yes, thee, thy, thou, prayer and meditation and and the, the Godhead and the Buddha nature and the Buddha womb. And then also, let's totally reroute the way we treat workers. <laughs> it's, like, it's like that, it's like that meme, it's like saying a bunch of random stuff, and it's like, now that the, the men have stopped reading, uh, ladies, this is what you gotta do. Yeah, something like that. And it, it you know, I, I just... I I lived for those moments in the book, and you know, other than that, it, it was kind of just a slug. I, it, I really had to like keep myself awake reading it because it's it's quite a it's quite a read. Um, but you know, I, I I take umbrage with the with the thing that it says on the front: the most needed book in the world, a masterpiece. I don't know. I think it's probably quality writing for the subject, but the most needed book. I don't know. Looking backward, feels more needed than this, but that's just me. And then finally. Uh, the other book that I've been reading since the beginning of July is the Quran. And, uh, boy, is it, uh, violent. It is, uh, it's a, it's an angry book. God, let me tell you, Ethan, uh, obviously it's translated in English, so the word Allah appears as just God, but, uh, cause I don't, I can't read Arabic. And so, you know, anyone that's like, that's a shame. Uh, yeah, right. And listen, if I could speak all the languages, I would, um, I, you know, I've seen things written about like how, you know, the Quran is only meant to be interp interpreted and understood in the language of Arabic, which is kind of funny coming from the creator of everybody. Um, but, you know, as assuming it's the creator of everybody. Well, but, I will, again, philosopher of language will take pains with that. Some languages are better at certain things than others. I understand that. But like, for fuck's sake, you're trying to communicate with everybody. We're all supposed to, we're all supposed to fall in line and believe this book. It's like, okay. Make it easily translatable into all the languages. Hey, heck, create us all speaking the same goddamn language. How hard is that? You know what I mean? Tower like, fuck. That's, that's the myth of the Tower of Babel, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, you know what? That's a stupid story. Um, You're a stupid and I, story. I am not. I am, I am a relatively intelligent story who's still going to die, just like everybody else. But, uh, yeah, so I, I'm reading this, this holy book, and I just want you to know, God does not want you to say that he has kids. Uh, he doesn't want you to say that the angels are his children. Uh, you better pay the prescribed alms. You better pray a bunch of times. Uh, and, you know, this random, illiterate nomad who marries a nine-year-old, I'm going to reveal all of my revelations to him. And he is, the, he is the final prophet. This is the final revelation. Except Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon. Don't ever talk about that. Uh, obviously, that's not mentioned in the Quran because that predates the Book of Mormon by about 1,100 years. But... I just find it funny that Joseph Smith was like, I will be this generation's Muhammad. And like Muhammad's like, this is the last one, guys. This is all of it. This is the last revelation. Um, and I just, you know, like any other holy book, I just thought it was kind of silly. I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously written by people who didn't know anything outside of their very small uh, ass part of the world. Uh, just like there's no mention in the Bible of anything outside of the random desert they happen to be in. You know, Australia's never mentioned. There's no mention of the Electron or the iPhone to come. You know, it's all just, you know, I, you know my position. I'm a, as, as Douglas Adams uh, described himself, which is convenient because that's what I've started reading now, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. As Douglas Adams described himself uh, as a radical atheist, just so when people asked him, they didn't think he was agnostic. So, Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, I feel, you know, that it was good that I read it, um, because I think it's important to study the cultures of other people and, and see where they're coming from. But, you know, just like any other holy book, it's, it's full of holes. I just have to interrupt you that I'm watching my cat fiddle with my Miss Pac-Man machine. Like she's hitting right on. buttons. Oh yeah. Is she winning? She's ready to go for it. Well, it's not on right now, but she's she ready at level, to go. is she at level 255? Trying to play multiplayer. She's hitting that button. All right. There you go. Oh, super cute. There you go. Thank you for that. Very good. 
So, uh, yeah, now that I've talked enough, uh, what are you going to be, uh, well, do, I mean, do you have anything to say about the Quran? Do you want to read it? I actually have. You don't have my copy, do you? No, no, I bought my own. Okay, yeah, I have a copy. I was going to say, um, maybe you'd be more interested in, like, I find comparative religion very interesting, uh, like yeah. Huxley was doing, um, what's the one I have, Varieties of Religious Experience. Uh, yeah, I'd like, to, that's, uh, read. oh, who's that by? Uh, Taylor? Ingersoll? No. Uh, I think it's James Taylor. Uh, oh, William, yeah, okay. William James. I was very close. I yeah, 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 William James. Yeah, that was like, what, 1903 or something like that? Something like that. Um, probably like that one. That one's interesting. Yeah, I'd like to read that. It's kind of philosophy related. I was going to say, you'd probably really like the, the History of God, which is a book that I have that tracks like the movement from kind of, um, what do they call that? And multiple polytheistic polytheistic and then the you know the tribes of became the jewish religion became monotheistic mm, indeed attracts that movement it basically like i always found it interesting that for you know we focus very heavily obviously as we are quote-unquote monotheistic you know our world was built by monotheistic religions for the past like you know, six four four to six thousand years um, yes like there's a long part of history before that where uh, we were polytheistic and that we talk about like you know Zeus and Thor and all them like we kind of talk about it in a way that we don't like we talk about it like oh they were so primitive they believed in like you know multiple gods yeah I mean at least their gods were fucking interesting I mean Zeus just fucked anything that moved. I don't yeah, know good for him. I think that's just. <laughs> I think that's just. No, like, I mean, but I mean, um, I'm interesting in the sense that they had like. Yeah. All right. I guess the I guess the gods of the Bible and the Quran, and the and the you know and the Old Testament are like interesting in the sense that they're still humanist, like human. But that's but that's the evidence that it's all man made. I mean, it's all like tailored towards men, and, you know, completely, uh, you know, like. I don't know how to, you know, it's just clearly like a person projecting what they want onto their deity, just like people do now, where they say, like, my god believes that gay people are evil, but it's really just that person that doesn't like them, and so they want their deity to think that, too. It's, it's all the same. You don't have to talk about Mike Pence like that, because Mike Pence is a proud gay man. He just can't <laughs> say it. He man. just can't. He just can't. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. See, when people say we've never had a gay vice president, well, nobody ever says we've never had a gay vice president. They say we've never had a gay president, but you know what? We've had a gay vice president, and that's Mike Pence. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. Um, well, I was also going to say, too, is, like, if you want to read, uh, like, less monotheistic, more, uh, like, earth-based spiritual readings, like, uh, Native American like, philosophy and religious readings are very interesting because, like, they have a very different view of, like, they thought about quote unquote God because they didn't call it God. That's not they didn't have a word for it like that. Sure. Um, the like, the Great Spirit or whatever. Yeah, I mean, well, different ones had different words for it because again, sure, that's like the hundreds one of different tribes. Yes, and um, a lot. No, of this, I bet they were. I bet they were all the same. All of them, like a lot of the writing that we have, came after like the Christianization of a lot of the tribes. So, like, it's. You know, people who were rediscovering old traditions, but also through the frame, the mind frame of you know, monotheistic Christianity. Anyway, I have a lot of, you know, different spiritual and religious texts that you can kind of like be like, oh, this one's very different than this one. And Yeah. Um, what are you yeah. going to be reading? So next, I'm going to read. So I went to the store while uh, my wife was getting her haircut the other day. Of this book, Breath by James Nestor, that I read a while ago. Very good book about uh, like different breathing techniques for like meditation and running and et cetera, et cetera. Not going to be reading that, but while I was there, you know, uh, I happened to also you know, pull out the list of like 12 to 40 books that I have been wanting to buy. I snagged two of them. Oh my God, I thought you were about to tell me you just bought 40 books. <laughs> my wife would kill me. Me. <laughs> kill me um 
No, 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 no. So I bought two of them. I actually had like five of them in my hands, and I was like, I can't walk out of this store with five of these. I gotta books. pick two. I gotta pick two. I gotta pick two. Um, so I picked up Stories of Your Life and Other Tales by Ted Chiang. So I read okay. his short story collection earlier. Oh, you, yeah, that was, uh, what was it? Exhalation? Exhalation. Exhalations, yeah. I actually, it was between <laughs> this one or Arrival, because they had Arrival there as well. And I was like, well, I've already seen the movie, so maybe I'll get the book. Arrival, like, uh, the movie did he do Arrival? Yes, he did. Ted Chiang wrote Arrival, didn't he? I forgot about yes, that. Did. I'd love to read that, because I love that movie. It was a really good movie. I, I want to read it, but also I was like, I, I don't know any of these stories. I'd rather a little something new. Um, then I also picked up Wild Seed by Octavia Butler, who wrote What's Parable it called? Wild Seed. Like Wild, wild Seed? Oh, yeah. Wild okay. Seed by Octavia Butler. Yeah. Parable of the Sower early this year. Mm, I was yeah. listening to a... I got it because I was listening to a podcast episode uh, about Octavia Butler, because I think it was like... Uh, the anniversary of either her birth or death very recently. Um, if you're not dead, Octavia, I fucking apologize. The anniversary of her birth. You mean her birthday? Well, yeah. <laughs> we should start Something calling the anniversary of someone's death their death day. That's more fun. Something like that. Side note, I went to the post office to pick up some stamps, and they had on the wall uh, an Ursula Le Guin stamp. Ooh. The author, Ursula Le Guin, she wrote The Dispossessed. She was like a big science fiction oh, writer. Oh, all right. She had, they had like a stamp of her, and I was like, no way. I was like, really? I went, when I went up to the counter to get the stamps that I was there for, I was like, yo, can I get like one of those Ursula Le Guin stamps? She was like, oh, we don't actually have those. I was like, why the fuck's it on the wall then? I'd be so upset. I wanted one. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just, you know, interested in the fact that people are still named Ursula. Uh, well, she's dead now. It was a while ago. Yeah, well, aren't, mo aren't most people... Yeah, I guess... Shut up. What are you reading next? <laughs> um, so I figured I'd, as I said to you in the car ride, I figured I'd follow up the book of God is Great, that being the Quran, with uh, the book God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything by Christopher Hitchens. Uh, because A, that's just funny, and... B, uh, he's about to, his death day, as I've now said, is approaching its 10th its tenth year, which is astounding because I remember just getting into him and just finding my, you know, perspective on religion as a, as a, as a youth, a young youth in like middle school and the beginning of high school. And I always found his wit and, and dry humor and his incredible well-readness and just, you know, like, uh, ability to reference like any obscure and uh, you know what's the word esoteric piece of literature on a whim and just be so well versed in just about everything you could imagine both historically journalistically and things like that I just I admired that so much and I <clears throat> I just miss his perspective on things yeah alright well he, he did have one one stain on his uh, perspective there but you know major fucking all... stain Aren't we all? Aren't we all fouled in one way or another? Um, Perfect. Yeah, but but you know, he, he still he still elucidated his position on it with grace and and you know amazing, you know. Uh, I don't know. It sounds like he doubled down like a. Uh, no, 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 I'm not saying I'm not saying he was correct for doubling down. I'm saying his when I say grace, I mean like his ability to write is like just I don't know second to none. I just really appreciate. Listen. There are plenty of authors that that are that are shitty people that are way shittier people than this one guy who have probably written beautiful things. Wagner hated Jewish people, but I bet his music was still good. Um, I haven't listened right. to it. I haven't listened to it. Um, <laughs> right. it's, but yeah, I'm I mean, reading, I'm reading classical stuff. Right? Yeah, whatever. I'm reading God is not great uh, because I'm a godless heathen and I like to laugh about things like that. Uh, and I'm also reading another book by another godless heathen, and that would be The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, who sadly passed away, uh, I think, in May of 2001, so a long time ago. And he was friends with another godless heathen, namely Richard Dawkins, who I'd like to read more of his books about, like, evolution and things like that. Uh, but yeah, I'm reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and God is not great. Very cool. So, that's so at what, least that's... we'll have a couple books in common. 
for uh, by the end of the year. Obviously. Oh yeah, because you read Hitchhiker's Guide, didn't you? I did I did? Yeah. The the funny thing is, I've got the uh, <laughs> you know it's kind of funny. I didn't plan this whole at thing. all. I didn't right on. I didn't plan this at all. But Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is my forty second book this year. Nice. That's I didn't. Funny. That was not intentional. That's funny. That's and funny. and it's the forty second anniversary edition. Nice. Even so better. they like they like threw it all together, and I got you know everything's working out, and I was just well, like when I'll, I when I'll, I re- I'll say what'll what piss you off about it. I'll say what'll piss you off about it. It was just meant to be, Sam. It was just meant it was just meant to be. be. It was fucking in the cards. The te- the it. the fucking whatever. You, 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 I chucked the bones, and the bones said the bones said it's gonna be the forty second book. You know. What? Uh, the bones, but you know, like talismans or whatever. You know, you chuck thing like the. I don't know much about talismans. I'm gonna be. All right, whatever. I don't. It doesn't matter to me. It's all bullshit anyway. Read your horoscopes, kids. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm reading. And uh, did you finish your drink? I did. I did. All right, I haven't, but I will. Uh, I'm sipping it slowly. This is the first time I haven't finished mine, but I think we should still call it a night because you got to go to beddy bye. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna call it a night. I'm gonna go set up my coffee for tomorrow. There I'm you go. Sleep. Indeed. All right. Well, my friend, it's been lovely speaking with you. Uh, hopefully, always... you'll have you'll have more uh, tomes to talk about next time. Yeah, I think so. Short stories go a lot quicker. There you go. All right. See you soon, buddy. Adios, my friend. Bye-bye. Goodbye, listeners. Goodbye.